Well, welcome everybody once again to Marketing Meanders with Sally and Sam. Uh, today we are privileged, uh, very fortunate to have Toby Rowe with us from Rowe Communications. And we're going to be talking about all things uh, PR and communications wise, um, particularly in relation to business schools, uh, because uh, Rowe Communications uh, is run by, by Toby himself and also his wife, Victoria. And uh, they specialize in uh, communication strategy for business schools um, and focusing on building reputation, preparing for content um, and an awful lot besides that. Uh, so I'm going to allow Toby to introduce himself, first of all, and uh, what Rowe Communications is, is up to at the moment. Thank you, Sam. Thanks very much uh, for having me on, on the uh, podcast today. Uh, well, Rowe Communications, as you say, is a, a specialist consultancy uh, for business schools, for individual academics and learning and development consultancies as, as well. Uh, so it's very much focused on the world of, of business education, which is the world I, I come from. We work with a range of business schools and associated organizations, both here in the UK and, and across uh, Europe more widely. And really the reason we, we set up the company is coming up to five years ago now. Uh, I worked in, in a business school for, for many years in houses of head of communications and was very much involved in that world. And we set it up really for two reasons. One, I'm hugely passionate about the power of education generally uh, and higher education and business education that we work in. These organizations have amazing stories to tell and they really do make an impact uh, both with organizations and individuals. And you know they, they really do change lives in the work that they do. So we're very passionate about the work that we do with our clients. However, I think having been in house and experienced the industry for a long time, we've, we, we were quite frustrated with some of the ways that marketing and communications happen. And really what we are set up to do and what we try to do with our clients is really help them to build their reputation, but make the most use of their resources. Um, because you, you'll find that a lot of the, uh, the uh, teams within business schools and within universities and higher education are bombarded from all sides uh, with uh, requests for content. They're extremely stretched, often don't have the biggest budgets. Uh, and really our mission is to try and help them make the most of what they've got and really make an impact, uh, maximizing their time and their energy and ultimately their money. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Toby. That's, that's a fantastic overview. And I know there's various areas there which we're going to go into in our, in our discussion today, which will be, which will be brilliant. Um, and before we get to that, we have the most important question of the day, as we always uh, give to our, our uh, people joining us on the podcast, which is, what is your favourite dish? Uh, thank you. Well, yeah, it's a great, great question. If, if I can, can I say it's a favourite meal? Um, so it's not, not a singular dish. And it's a game I, I play with the, the kids when we're on long car journeys. But the one I've finally come down on, I, I'm a huge lover of France. I absolutely love uh, France and everything in it. And uh, my, my ultimate meal is uh, snails followed by steak, followed by cheese, all washed down with some very good French red wine. And that's my kind of my meal from heaven, as it were. Oh, it sounds wow. ideal. Delicious. <laughs> that was wonderful. That was very, very sophisticated. Very Sorry, it's a bit more than a dish. So thanks for letting me go through all the courses. Perfect. <laughs> and I think it's ideal. Sounds delicious as well. Thank you very much for that, Toby. It's, it's conjured up ideas in my mind of uh, <laughs> fine wines, etc., which is lovely. But thank you very much. Um, so I'm going to allow Sally to kick us off now with our first question of the day. 
I'm going to start with a really broad brushstroke question, which I know that lots of businesses ask. What's the difference between PR and marketing? Is there a difference? Yeah, thanks, Sally. I, I think it's a really interesting question. I think it's been, as you say, one asked a, a number of times. I think the way I look at it, first of all, if I look at the traditional definition of marketing going, going back a few years, that is, you know, the team is tasked with largely the development of new services and products. It's very much a focus on sales. And so in that sense, there's not too much crossover with PR, which um, really for me is primarily concerned with uh, the building of a, a long-term positive reputation. However, I think the lines become a bit more blurred now and particularly if, if i was to say rather than marketing marketing communications i think that's where we see uh, the two coming together hugely and i think you see that a lot with uh, activities like content marketing social media to an extent w what i've observed often with the clients that we work with in higher education you, you look at some of the the terms that are used for these teams that we work with Sometimes it's communications, sometimes it's marketing, sometimes external relations. But actually, once you get into those teams, they tend to do fairly similar roles. So I, my, my answer really is, I think marketing in its strictest definition, you know, it is about developing new products, new services and, and selling those. PR is about reputation. However, I think that the way some people use the term marketing if you use it more of in a, in a kind of Marcom sense, then actually Marcoms and PR increasingly yeah. are very aligned and, and, and blurred. I think you're right. I mean, I think you do need to make sure if you're in an industry, a company which has both, both of those teams, you need to make sure that they align because you do run the risk of them either zooming off in two different directions or contradicting each other. So you do have to be careful. I mean, and I've heard many, many times in my career, oh, look, we haven't quite got the budget. Let's just get PR to do that bit. And it turns into free marketing in inverted commas. Indeed, indeed. I think that's a, a absolutely, uh, you know, common occurrence. And, uh, and I think for, for me, that goes down to, you know, really some of the misconceptions about what, what PR is, yeah. number one, and, and also what PR can do as well. That's um, right. Yeah, so it's, that, that, that's a, a, a common issue I've seen over the years. It's interesting, actually, because it's almost like as um, I've thought quite a lot about this in the past. And, and if you put it down to I'm going to do one of my uh, alliteration pieces here where I've split up uh, several words, which is reputation, relationships, revenue and repeat business. And I'm almost seeing that as a bit of a continuation. So being a lot of marketing these days, and I think particularly business schools and uh, academic institutions, um, there's that uh, the content isn't it? again content marketing obviously and it's become bigger and bigger over time and it I suppose it's sort of trying to disentangle to a certain degree the reputation and the relationships I mean when, when I, I always remember when I was asked when my first jobs uh, I was asked what is marketing that was the last killer question I had to give one word answer oh. um, and so I said relationships um, which is quite interesting because at that point I think I was sort of reasonably fresh out of uh, you know, graduate, wherever school, you know, uh, university. And I was just thinking, well, yeah, that essentially that is what we're doing. We're building a form of relationship um, monetarily. Of course, you want to get someone to buy something. But again, my, I have a very strong belief in the you know, customer lifetime value and the fact that we are building a relationship for the long term. Obviously, reputation and relationships go, are going hand in hand. But as you say, it's sort of it's 
disentangling to a certain degree, isn't it? Not allowing them to blur too much. Yeah, and, and I think I think you know if, if, to give the one word answer, if, if I'm asked, you know, well, what is PR? It begins with R, but it's reputation. It, it it is all about reputation, and I think Sally mentioned uh, alignment, and and I think that's absolutely key. Um, when you've got PR with other Marcom's activities, everything's got to be aligned. Not, in fact, not just the Marcom's activities, but everything within the organization should be aligned. Because I think one of the problems I see often in PR is that um, an organization will want to be seen as X, but actually in operational terms, what the business is doing is Y. And that's when you start to get into this horrible sort of, you know, territory of all it's just spin because actually you're, you're saying something that in reality is simply not true so alignment is is, is absolutely key um, when, when you're when you're doing this and I think the other thing I would say about PR and, and reputation it's for me it's really about building a reputation and building an environment that is positive and benevolent to, to your organization so you can carry out your activities whatever they may be in a, a more fruitful way it, it really it, it's it's a very much a, it's a long-term activity it takes a long t- time to you know build up a reputation of course there's the cliche that you know you can you can lose it incredibly quickly so i think it does work in concert with other things like marketing but it, it importantly it has to work in concert and be very aligned to what the organization is, is doing because otherwise you know it, it it's simply seen as spin mm. I think that's really interesting to look at it as um, long term, Toby, because I think a lot of people think of PR as really, really short term. I've just got to get this press release out to a newspaper. They then write a piece and then I move on to the next thing. So to think of it as a long term reputation um, building exercise is really is a very interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I think I think it is. And I, I'm you know, a passionate believer in it. it is something you need to invest time and, and resources in to build. I think the other point that is interesting as well is I think one of the other things that I often say to people is that media relations and talking to journalists and, and as you say, sending out press releases is absolutely an integral part of, of PR, but it, but it is only just one part. And I think we're back to this terminology again. And I think, yeah. you know, sometimes people think PR almost equals press release or press relations. Mm. Is that, you know, that if we go back to the absolute term it's public relations so it's very much building your reputation externally publicly um but also you know in, in a focus way because you want to be building that reputation and focusing your reputational efforts on those audiences that you are most trying to build relationships with and, and, and trying to influence mm-hmm. yeah and, and and in terms of when you're starting out with um say a brand new client or someone who's perhaps not engaged in PR activities previously just fascinated to know a bit about your without giving away too much of the game but you know your process about how you would go into actually trying to assess what reputation they existing reputation they have and then how you want to enhance and build on that how, how do you go about looking at that to, to begin to begin with it's, it's a good question so I think it very much for me it's a balance between the internal and the external um, and th- this comes on to sort of ha- how to successfully work with organizations because often the impressions and expectations internally can be very different to the impressions and and expectations externally so it's important i think when you're working with any organization regarding you know higher education or anywhere 
to, to really understand about how the organization internally sees itself and how externally the organization is viewed, whether that's through customers, partners, suppliers, uh, the media. I think that's a, that's a critical first uh, step. And, and then it, it's really also, I mentioned expectations, it's about looking at expectations as well. What, what is it you are actually trying to achieve? Oh, it could be, well, we, we want to, you know, raise our profile. Okay, but you know, what, what, what does that mean? Um, and, and where do you want to raise your profile and with whom and what, and, and if you can raise your profile and awareness with this particular group, what do you want that group to then do as a result of that? And so it, it, a sort of short answer, I would say, it's before you do any activity, you've got to really invest in understanding, um, you know, A, how you're seen internally or how you feel internally and B, how you're seen externally. And more than that, go really into the detail and have some very, very closely defined objectives on what, what you were trying to do. Because too often, for me, when I first have conversations with clients, it's quite broad. Um, I mean, the classic is, from a media relations standpoint, we want to be in the FT. Um, well, what, why do you want to be in the FT? Um, to be honest, I, I, I mean, I, I jest slightly, but if I had a pound for every time someone had said that to me, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Um, so it, it, it's really being about specific and targeted and focused. What, what is it you are actually trying to do? Yeah. It's all about your brand, isn't it? I mean, effectively, it's it, both internally and outside your business. It's what your brand is and do you believe in it? And how are you presenting yeah. it? It's that, isn't it? It, it, it is, Sally. And, and I think I go back to the earlier point that it, it, it's about being authentic as well. Um, I'm, I'm sure we've all been in situations where I've seen an organisation wanting to portray a certain image and a brand externally, but you go into that organisation, or I've, have, I've worked in a couple like this, where it just doesn't, it just, it doesn't match up. And, it, and, and that's where it doesn't work. So I think this is where PR's um, a lot more than, you know, just media relations or social media. It's, it's about how is the organisation operating? And if you want to be seen as a, let's say, a, a very sustainable organisation, but your, your business, business practices are not doing that, then, you know, PR, all the PR in the world can't help you do that. Yep. You fundamentally have to change some of your operations and then you can start talking about that because it's the truth. And so, you know, it, it, one of the major misconceptions about PR for me, and one that probably hurts personally, is it's about, you know, spin and putting a, a gloss on something. And that, that for me, is not, not what this is about. Yeah, I mean, it is really interesting when you find that the internal view of what the brand looks like is not the same as the out, what the public's view of the brand is. And that can be shocking. I'm, I'm going, I've told this story before in a different meander, but I'm going to do it again because it's, it's matters here i used to work for um, penguin books and everyone all the senior management at penguin books thought that the penguin was the most powerful publishing image anywhere ever and so we did some um market research one of those ones we got a blind window so you can't see and they were put and we put several colophons on the table and they had to identify what, what the publisher was and funnily enough, because nobody knows what a publishing colophon is, it's a completely internal thing. Nobody knows what they are. 
and everyone's the whole senior team are behind the mirror going oh they're definitely going to notice yes the penguin would be obvious and one and the one of the people there pointed and said oh i think i know that one and they said oh yes you see i told you it would be only penguin and, and the person said yes that's that's iceland isn't it and you think mm, see you're not quite as famous as you think absolutely yeah what a great story <laughs> and I, I think one of the things that uh, which uh, as well you you you've mentioned here as, as well toby about sort of how people are seen and perceived and what what you know what they're trying to achieve from it comes back in something i always mention which is a good old simon cynic all the time about you know why and 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 why you're doing what you're doing because i know in recent years a lot of sort of the larger blue chip companies and other others have now have to be more i mean i hate this word purposeful I, I hate i hate saying it but but you know obviously demonstrating they have a purpose demonstrating that there is some some greater mission there they have which is you know more this sort of the social index and reputational index which people talk about don't they rather than just making more money or just returning value for shareholders which i mean i don't know i suppose that's that seems to have accelerated in the last few years from what I've seen anyway, my perception of it. But um, do, do you find that there's, I mean, again, the, the power of what you can do when you're saying, well, I'm looking at what's, what's inter the internal story here, what's the external story, and then actually helping with that alignment again of understanding, well, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, we may be very successful, but why do we do it? Who, who are we doing this for? Do you ever find you, you sort of encounter that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the, the key word there is, is purposeful or, or even purpose. And I think purpose works in, in two ways. As, as you, you, you rightly say, it, for many, it's being more purposeful is about you know, greater sustainability, more social conscience, about, about helping others, being a, a force for good and, and all of that. And that, that's fine. Um, but there's a very good book by a, an Oxford professor I work with uh, called Dr. Jonathan Trevor, and it's called Align. And this is about when all, all parts of an organization, if they are all absolutely aligned behind a clearly defined common purpose, then surprise, surprise, they tend to perform better than others. So for me, it, it, the way I think we, we should look at purpose is, is more of the, the second rather than the first. Equally, it can be that you know you want to be the most sustainable company in the world, and therefore everything has to be behind that. So I think you know, organizations need to think, what, what is their purpose? What, what, what are we here to do? What is, it, what is the thing that, that drives us? And if you have a very clear purpose, then I think building your reputation and therefore having a very good public profile is that much easier. And I think it's particularly interesting when you look at some of the, the, the long-standing companies, and I'm not even you know, well, actually, I could use a higher education example. I mean, you know, the likes of Oxford University, uh, you know, there's a, there's a strong uh, purpose there around teaching uh, and research. And so, you know, I think it does, we, we almost go back to the internal elements again, that before you start thinking externally about, we need more PR, you need to look within and think, well, who are we as a company and what are we trying to do? And if you're clear about that, then the external stuff becomes that much easier. But yeah. you need to make sure that you communicating internal communication is as important as external communication. You do need to make sure that the people within your organisation are actually all thinking and feeling the same way. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I I'd agree 100% Sally. And I think, you know, that that's where we go back to this question of alignment. And I mean, we, we don't 
personally do uh, internal communications, but internal communications are absolutely key to work in concert with what, you know, marketing and, and, and PR. Um, yeah, oh. absolutely. So all I would imagine, Toby, same. that you've bumped into circumstances where you wish internal communications were better. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and is there... I wasn't suggesting you should, you know, diss anybody, but I, I can imagine, I can think of lots of examples. <laughs> I think, I mean, one of the interesting things, you, you know, about the, the, the types of organisation we deal with, higher education institutions, business schools, is that um, they have a, a very wide remit, a lot of them. And within them, the way that they're structured, you know, you will have academics who are their own almost little personal brands as well. So, um Academic institutions, on the whole, don't you know don't work as as a corporate would, uh, and that that's I have to say one of the big observations I, I make to people coming into this industry that you know if you come from a blue chip company in a corporate, uh, a typical business school or university just does not work in the same way as a corporate. It might look quite similar, but they are absolutely worlds apart. Yeah, no, it's and it's missions. The mission is different, and they do, and because they work as they do, they will have internal departments who ha have the right to be very different from each other. So your department of medicine has every right to be utterly different, have different visions, mission statements, etc., than your literature department. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. It's interesting, actually, as well, because as you say, sort of it. I suppose a lot of the time it's finding trying to find that common thread, isn't it? If you're sort of part of a, a wider, I mean, well, as you mentioned, Toby, the, the University of Oxford, I mean, I think there's still people in the world who sort of say, oh, well, the University of Oxford, and they say it like a term, like it's this big monolith and it's all together. And it's obviously all the <laughs> colleges, let alone all the research centres, let alone all of the academics. On its own country almost, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, it, but it's sort of like, I, I suppose, because one of the things I always try to find in, in a lot of my marketing is even if it's just, you know, selling one one product, one service, it's like, what's a common theme, common thread? What are the commonalities? When I ever do, um, when I do persona work or, or proposition work, I always try and just refine it back and back and back and back to get away from all the features and even the benefits and just say, get back to the core of why it's there. And is there a common theme that links this to another part of your, you know, your product offering or portfolio? And I guess it's sort of similar in a, in a way, but, but you're obviously trying to, you're trying to tell stories, aren't you? And you're trying to tell other stories, which are um, uh, part of the reputational picture that you're building, I, I, I guess. Yeah. And, and I think, again, it, it comes back to a bit of alignment, but this is, this is more about balance. I think when, when you're looking at external stories to talk about, it, again, it's, between what is thought of as important internally and what is thought of as important and interesting externally. So if I take a media relations example, I mean, what you're really trying to do with any story when you're dealing with, with the media is you're, you're trying to match the interests and expectations of the, the internal client with the those of the media and then ultimately of those of the people that, that the client's trying to reach with, so let's say prospective students. And when PR or media relation doesn't work, it's when one of those is out of kilter because you're not meeting the client demands, you're not meeting what the media wants, and ultimately you're not influencing the end audience. So all three have got to be working together. And, and so there is a lot there about you know, balancing internal versus ex external expectations. And that's, you know, 
I'm sure as you've seen, you know, when we talk to uh, some of our internal clients sometimes, oh, I've been asked to, you know, do, do some work around this new program or this new initiative. And, you know, you look at it and think, well, okay, what, why, why is this happening? Oh, well, someone really wants it to happen. Well, that's not a strategic reason or a strategic objective. Um, so, you know, I think going back to what, what we do as an organisation is try and help our, our clients really focus on those areas of content and those stories and those campaigns that are really going to make an impact. Uh, not because um, we need to do a campaign because someone shouted the loudest in a meeting. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, I know something that um, I, I think, I think you guys have sort of, you know, written about and focused on as well in, in terms of the sort of the tactical level of, of stories and, and, and of um, preparing stories and content is there. Well, I call it anyway, so the, the so what test, or I, I don't know, I th- I th- you probably term it that as well, or something a bit, bit different, but the whole uh, kind of, it's, it's a good term. Yeah, sort of, the, you know, so, so as you say, anybody could come up with, a, and I particularly, I guess, working with, you know, higher education, there's a lot of interesting, provocative stuff, even that, you know, you think, well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's really, yeah, interesting stuff. But then you go, but, um, but, but, but so what right here, right now for this audience? And that's sort of what, and again, I suppose there's linkages with marketing there, isn't there? But even more so, I guess, with, with, with your work. Yeah, and, and, and it is, I mean, I don't think there's anything more complicated to that, but, but it is the so what question. And I think the so what question is so important and it's, you know, you, you segment it by audiences. So, well, so, so what internally for the client? Well, why do we, what, why do we need to do this? So what for externals is why are they going to care? And if they are, is this useful to them? Is it going to change their behavior? Are, you know, so what, what is it about it? Or, you know, you can look at it through the lens of, um, has this been done before? Yeah, and loads of places have it. Okay, well then, what, what, why are we going to make such a, a big deal of it or, or whatever? And it, you know, it's some of those. I think some of this boils down to some very, very simple. I, I, I hasten to use the word, but I will. It's almost like sort of childlike questions, because you know, I, if I'm talking to my kids sometimes about some of the work they'll do, well, they'll say, "Well, why is that interesting?" And you, that they will make you really, really hard. If you know, I think it's one of those things you can't explain it to a, a nine-year-old in simple terms. Then you're not doing a, a very good job. So yeah, the, the the sort of set of so what questions are absolutely critical. Yeah, yeah, oh, oh definitely. I, mean, I think that's I mean, a similar similar thing I have with uh, yeah with my kids. Might be driving the car and they're asking about something, and yeah, you start to find you're saying because well. It just, you know, and you sort of words in a string, don't you? And, and then, as you say, sort of that, that, I mean, because that's the thing I think a lot of us do in, in all sorts of areas, in, in, in marketing, in PR, and in all sorts of fields. We, we, we just sometimes are, are, are trying to operate at a very high level and, and, and a sophisticated um, campaign or idea and everything. And then, and then just somebody says, yeah, but what? So, yeah, what, why? Why is somebody going to be interested in that? And you go, well, because, because it's, 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 it has this, this, and this. And you go, okay, great, great, great. So, as you say, what, what, what's that going to influence? What's that going to change? Is it going to affect people's thinking on a subject? Is it, is it, is it novel? Does it have anything that's curious or interesting about it? Because I suppose there must be those um, times when you have somebody who rushes up into the room, perhaps sort of with a, piece of paper or perhaps these days an email i guess uh, sort of shouting saying well there's this amazing new thing which i'm doing and 
you know, we've, we've got to tell tell the story of it, and then, as you say, get it in the FT. Um, uh, and, yeah, and, okay, I'm right. sorry. I was going to say, I think I think one interesting element, which is quite specific to higher ed, is the 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 academic or the res research element. So, um, first of all, I should say, you know, academic research and and the links between academia and business. I think they should be as close as possible. I think when academia works with practitioners, the results are, are amazing. I mean, you only have to look, you know, in, in the kind of science world and in, in what's happening with um, the development of vaccines between research institutions and uh, pharma companies, you know, it literally can change the world. H however, not all academic research is necessarily presented or can be presented in a way that's of interest externally and I think one of the reasons for that is and we're going down into a bit of specifics I mean a lot of academic research is is very much focused on um, the, the process of proving something and therefore you know you can use this slightly silly flippant example of well we've proved black is black we've proved that that color is is, is black well, I knew that anyway. Ah, yes, but we've statistically <laughs> proved it. We have statistically proved it with this rigorous methodology. Okay, and that, I, I'm being very flippant, but that's where the problem exists between the academic world and sometimes practitioner, because the practitioner world just wants to know, yeah, but what's the, how do I use this? What's the outcome? And yeah. so that's where sometimes there's a bit of tension um, working with higher ed institutions and external clients and and really it's about building that bridge between what the research is doing and and the what those implications mean so um i'd finish by saying you know i'm an absolute believer in you know academia and wider organizations need to work together um, more closely because when they do you know i think the impact is, is massive mm. i think you're really interesting because it's that it's that being able to explain it because we don't have much time now. So if whatever you're doing, you need to explain it to me quite quickly, not just simply, but blooming quickly, because I really haven't got time, particularly now I'm in a digital world. Everything has to be, I've got, I've got two and a half seconds to understand what you do before I go on to this over here, which is what needs my time as well. So you've got to make it very clear, very quickly. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I think it's, I think there's a really interesting point there in that, you know, I think with the kind of more sort of populist agenda that we're in and as you say the sort of speed of the media and, and everyone wants very very simple solutions to complex problems actually the world doesn't work like that and I think that's where academia has got a huge role to play. Um, science and facts and details and rigour matter and, and as institutions they've got a huge role um, with things I mean that they're showing it with you know Covid uh, with climate change that's going to be it, it is the same you know science in its broadest forms and rigor matter and there isn't an always there isn't always an easy answer to something so one of the challenges I think is is getting those kind of, some of those kind of complex thoughts and uh, ways of doing things over into a in, in in a way that anyone can understand and that that's really the kind of bridge between academia and and general public so yeah, yeah it, that, it's really interesting actually because as you were saying about that I was thinking that um you know but I was thinking of a couple of examples of of uh, say scientific well research papers I've I've read in the past which um or at least got as far as 
the first few pages of them, you know, but I always find it's that making it more of a story and making it a relatable story, isn't it? So as you say, if you're proving black is black, but if you're saying, um, uh, I mean, I suppose this is where the, the skill comes in as well, isn't it? The way you, you know, your skill, the way you can represent this and say, and also the way in which a paper's written, I think sometimes it's almost like you can see some people a bit more savvy in terms of trying to make it relatable, can't they? Like, you know, example of, uh, I mean, I always find it fascinating, like psychological studies and things where they say, well, what we did is we allowed we got 10 people into a room and then we, we gave them the option to, to have a sweetie or to, uh, you know, I don't know, hit the head against the wall. And this is what we found, you know, just those little stories, I suppose, in this age of uh, where we have increasingly, it seems uh, less concentration for things. And th this is a massive challenge for marketing. It's a massive challenge when you're trying to communicate an important, rigorous, data-based uh you know evidence-based um story which we found in, in recent days and, and weeks um you still potentially and i suppose for marketers sally's actually done a, a mini meander on this actually about the power of storytelling i think there's still something there that relates very much to this this prehistoric brain doesn't it which goes oh it's a story i'm around the campfire in the hut or whatever and i'm, I'm listening to someone telling me a story and there's elements of something which even if it's quite a sophisticated complex data you know based um piece of research if you tell it in the right way and bring someone in in the story i think potentially there's a much better chance of getting people to a pay attention for longer and b actually sort of take some of the details in Get it. yeah and, uh, uh, sorry sally no i'm no i'm shutting up okay <laughs> um i think you know for, for me a lot of that comes down to to audiences so you know when you look at academic journal articles and the way academic papers put together, there is a very solid good reason for that. And that is absolutely applicable within that context. And so, you know, if you are at an academic conference and you explain the, the rigor and the process you went through, that, that's fine. That's different to if you uh, stood up in front of 100 CEOs or 50 marketing managers or 25 school children. And so for me, it's, it's about the audience and um, why does it matter to uh, them and, and what does it mean for them? What are the implications of this? And so, you know, I think there are different ways of telling stories. I think you're absolutely right. Fundamentally, it goes back to telling a good story because we all, you know, a great skill in a lot of the work we do is, is about storytelling. But it, it's about adapting to the, the audience in front of you. And, and that's where, you know... Um, we find with some academics, they're very, very, very good that they can switch seamlessly between uh, talking to um, a, a collection of peers about a very, very complex methodology or statistical model and equally explain why this means or why this is very important in, you know, literally 10 seconds. And, and the, the, the two the people that can bridge those worlds are, you know, they're very valuable people to know. Well, thank you very much for listening. We hope everyone's enjoyed that exploration of PR with Toby there. And we have part two of this fascinating episode coming up very soon. So please do tune in for that. And if you have any questions for us, as usual, please contact us at MeandersPod on Twitter. Thanks very much, everyone. Bye for now.